uh, as uh, Matt had already mentioned, uh, tomorrow is Memorial Day. Memorial Day is uh, a day that we celebrate here uh, in the United States where we remember those who gave their lives in the service of this country. And, uh, and I do think it's worth taking a moment to stop and to remember those who have done that. Um, uh, I, I say this almost any time we have a, a holiday like this where the reality is it, it's not pastors or churches who have earned and maintained the freedom of religion that we enjoy in America. It's our military, that, and th- especially those who have given their lives, who have earned and maintained the privileges that we enjoy this morning. I mean, when you think about it, we're gathered here this morning in a climate-controlled building with absolutely no fear whatsoever of someone interfering with what's going on in our freedom of religion and our freedom to worship. And, uh, and there are other places in this world who don't take that for granted, and we shouldn't take it for granted either. And then, of course, when we think about when we think about people giving their lives in order to bring life for other people, I mean, it just can't help but remind us of the greatest story ever told where someone gave his life to bring life to many, many others. And so that's why we gather every Sunday. So I do want to take yet another, I, I know we're kind of interspersing a lot of prayer this morning, but I do want to thank God for uh, that sacrifice that others have made for us to gather here this morning. I don't want this morning to slip by without us at least giving, uh, uh, acknowledging that and giving thanks to God for that. So join me one more time before we open the word and, 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 uh, and look into Exodus uh, one more time here. Father, for those in this room who have lost loved ones in uh, military uh, conflicts and military endeavors, a day like Memorial Day is even more meaningful. Father, we are thankful for those who have given their lives in service of our country, a country that those of us who are here this morning, we have the, the privilege of being in right now and living in. And not, not everyone in here, I, I don't even think everyone in here is necessarily a United States citizen yet. And yet we enjoy the blessings and the freedoms uh, of living here, which ultimately are provided by you. We do thank you for those who have given their lives in the service of though, to give us the, um, the freedoms that we enjoy here this morning. We ask uh, on this Memorial Day weekend that the families that will be mourning the loss of their loved one, that you would comfort them this morning. And Father, if they don't know Christ as the one who brings ultimate life through his death, that even this weekend would be a weekend where those who uh, don't know you as their Savior would come into a saving relationship with you through your son, Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. All right, if you would, please take your Bibles and open them to Exodus chapter 33. Believe it or not, even though we are only in Exodus chapter 33, we're three sermons away from being done with the book of Exodus. So I'll preach chapter 33, and Matt will preach chapter 34, and then the final Sunday, Will will preach out of Exodus chapter 40, um, that last that last section there in, in Exodus chapter 40. And when we get back, I'll have to figure out something else, I guess. Deuteronomy or Levit- Leviticus. No, we, we'll, we'll probably skip, jump into something in the, in the New Testament uh, in, uh, when we get back. Uh, to, we'll, we'll, we'll probably walk through some psalms during the summer, and then uh, at the, in the fall when we move back into the school year, uh, we'll start a new, a new sermon series. Have you ever uh, used the phrase, you go on without me? Or maybe someone has used that phrase with you. I tell you what, you just go on without me, and, and, and everything's going to be okay. And depending on the circumstances, that phrase might be okay, 
or it might be terrible and terrifying. It just depends on the circumstances, right? If someone says, you go on without me. Let's say you're walking into a restaurant and someone, their phone rings and they pick it up and they just say, you, you go on in without me. No, no problem there. There's no problem with you going on without that person there with you. But imagine, imagine that you're going into a restaurant to celebrate someone's birthday and they get a phone call and they say, I've got to go out to the farm to take care of this problem. You guys just go on without me. And it's the person whose birthday you're there to celebrate. Like suddenly those same words, you go on without me, represent a much bigger problem. I mean, you can go and have dinner together, but you can't celebrate their birthday because they're not there. But imagine something like this. Imagine that, that um, a, a bride and groom who have just been wed that day and they are making their way to their honeymoon suite and the groom gets a phone call and he, and he realizes that there's a farm problem that day and he says, <laughs> he says to his, his new bride, you just, you just go on without me, right? I'll, I'll catch up in a few days. This is a big problem. It might take a little while. You go on without me, right? Like that scenario is, is a much bigger problem than you just go on into the restaurant without me. You go on without me can represent a really big problem. And the passage that we're looking at this morning represents the biggest problem in the history of the world of someone saying to another group of people, you go on without me. Let's read together Exodus chapter 33, and I want you to have in your mind the problem of you go on without me. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. Now, let me stop for a moment. I should have, before I even began reading, I should have reminded you. Remember, in Exodus chapter 32, we have seen the sin, this horrible sin of God's people where they've created the, the calf of gold and they were worshiping it, and Moses comes down and breaks the, the, tab, the, the commandments, and God says, I'm going to judge the people, and I'm going to bring uh, verse 35 of chapter 32. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Right. So we've just ended chapter 32, and the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses that divided up the way, the way that we read it. And so we're, just, we're right on the heels of this really heavy news from God that I'm sending a plague because of the sin of, of, uh, of the, 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 the idol that you have made. And now, verse 1 of chapter 33, the Lord says, Depart, go up into the land. Verse 2, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. So far, so good. But I will not go up among you. Lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. They knew that it was inappropriate to dress in a celebratory way. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked, that means stubborn, by the way. You're a stiff-necked people. 
if for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. From Mount Horeb onward. By the way, it appears from this verse that the people of Israel took off that ornamentation and never put it back on again. From Mount Horeb onward until they entered the promised land. Verse 7, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And by the way, later scriptures will tell us that Moses' face would shine, would literally glow when he had left the tent and gone back to the people. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, this nation is your people. And he, God, said to Moses, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Just so you know, that you is singular. God is saying to Moses, Moses, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to give you, Moses, rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct and your people, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Man, I'm getting ready to preach this passage, but notice what Moses is praying. God, make us distinct from everyone else on earth. And brothers and sisters, as Christians, so often our prayer is, God, make us totally indistinguishable from everyone else on the face of the earth, but we want to go to heaven someday. Moses is praying, this is what makes us distinct, that we are your people. If You must go with us, verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you, Moses, have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please, show me your glory. And he said, I will make 
all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. Some of you may already be thinking, wait a second, it just said that Moses spoke with God face to face. And now verse 20, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is a cool passage with a lot of awesome stuff going on here this morning. Here's the main point for us. We will not be able to unpack every single detail in this chapter, but here's the main point. God's presence is the most important thing for the people of God to be the people of God. And and in my notes, I have that last of God in bold. The presence, God's presence is the most important thing for the people of God to be the people of God. Father, help us as we look into your word. Three, well, I've got four points that will help us walk through chapter 33 this morning. First, we're going to see that God pronounces judgment, then the people mourn. Then Moses intercedes, and then God shows mercy. A lengthy passage, but we won't take a long time to work through it this morning. Main point, God's presence is the most important thing for the people of God to be the people of God. And first we see here in chapter 33 what is really a continuation of chapter 32. Moses intercedes. God's going to destroy the people of Israel and start over with Moses. And by the way, if I was Moses, Exodus, the book of Exodus would end with chapter 32. It would just end with chapter 32. When God says to Moses, hey, I'm going to wipe out the nation of Israel because of this horrible sin that they've committed against me while you've been up here with me on the mountain, and I'm going to start over with you, I think I would have been like, that actually sounds like a great deal. These people are a little bit annoying to me too, God. Not only have they sinned against you, but they've done nothing but gripe and complain. They don't really like me very much as a leader. And if you're going to start over with me, I'm sure that I can do a better job. However you're going to figure this plan out, Lord, we're good to go. And I think if this would have been the the story of of Jeremy leading the people out of the land of Israel, Exodus chapter 32 would probably be the... There would be a significant change there at the end of chapter 32. But Moses intercedes for God's people, and God relents and changes. Instead of wiping out Israel, he does bring a plague. And then here in chapter 33, he gives news that's even more devastating to the people of God, and especially to Moses, than the fact that he brought a plague against the people of Israel. He says this, you're going to go on in without me. And the story, the illustration that I used a minute ago about about a a bride and a groom going to their honeymoon suite and the groom saying to the bride, you go on without me. Like we look at that and we're like, that's horrible. That's weird. That's totally inappropriate. That's like unforgivable kind of stuff. That's like, let's not think about that very long. Well, this is worse than that. 
this is worse than that because the story of Exodus, the last 12 chapters, have been God giving Moses instruction about what it's going to look like for him to dwell in the midst of his people. This is, first of all, this pronouncement that God makes here in verses 1 through 3, this is first a pronouncement of judgment. You're going to go in without me. Everything that's just been established in the last 12 chapters of Exodus is now voided. Never mind. Forget the sacrificial stuff. Forget building the tabernacle. You're going without me. I'll send, I'll send an angel guy along with you, and I'll still drive out the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the you know, Parasites and whoever else. You'll still get to go into the land, but you're going to go in without me. Now think about this. Remember, we keep talking about God's people in God's place in God's presence. They have been on their way to being God's people in God's place in God's presence. But now they're going to be God's people in God's place, but without what? Without God's presence. They're going to be God's people in God's place, but without God's presence. The whole point was that they would be God's people in God's place in God's presence. But it's like going to a birthday party, but the the birthday, the person whose birthday it is, isn't there. Well, it's actually far worse than that. This was bad news for the people of God because now they were going to be the people, God's people in God's place, but they weren't going to be the people of God. This was a, this was a pronouncement of judgment, yes, but this was also a pronouncement of mercy. God actually tells them, I'm not going in with you, and here's why I'm not going in with you. Here's why I'm not going in with you. Because you're a stiff-necked people, and I would consume you on the way. Look at the end of verse 3. Lest I consume you on the way, because you are a stiff-necked people. Now, when I think of a stiff-necked person, I I think of a donkey right? The stubborn old mule that won't do what he's supposed to do, right? And you can just see you're pulling on the reins and that donkey is just, if he didn't want to go and he didn't want to do, he is stiff-necked. I remember the first time I ever, I ever heard one of my kinfolk refer to another one of my, my, well, I'll just tell you. My papa was being particularly stubborn one day and my mama referred to him as a jackass. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness. You know, I'd never heard kinfolk talk that way to each other. And then I realized, oh, no, he actually was behaving that way. That was a perfectly good way to describe the way my papa was acting in that moment. We know what it's like. We, we use a term like that, right, this stubborn animal. And I'm not cussing. I'm just saying, like, this stubborn animal, this jackass who's stiff-necked and won't do the reasonable, expected thing. And God knows, listen, I have, you have... You have seen my glory. I've delivered you from Egypt, the plagues, and and you've seen the trembling Mount Sinai, and I'm giving you my law, and you you are literally, you're sending Moses because, like, no, Moses, we don't want to go talk. The people of Israel, you'll remember, had been invited up to the mountain, and they said, no, Moses, you go instead of us. And and then they, they commit this horrible sin of creating this idol, and God is saying to his people, you are a stiff-necked people. And if I, if I just come and live and dwell among you, my holiness, my righteousness will consume you. It's not safe for you, for me to be in your presence. This is a pronouncement of judgment. It's also a pronouncement of mercy. And so God 
sends this angel, or it says, I'll send an angel. It would be God's people in God's place, but not with God's presence. And I, I think, I presumably, no more, I mean, God, what God is saying here is no, no pillar of fire by night, no pillar of cloud by day, no tabernacle, no sacrificial system. I'm going to send uh, I'm going to send an angel to drive out those other uh, people groups and you can just go live in that place. And the people do what is right. Verse 4, this brings us to point number 2. The people mourn when the people heard this disastrous word. They recognized that what they were hearing from God was disastrous. It was similar to a divorce pronouncement. I was going to be with you. I was going to go into the land with you. I was going to dwell amongst you. You're a stiff-necked people, and you're going to go in without me. And the people take off their ornamentation, the fancy gold jewelry that they uh, had received from the people of Egypt as they left the land of Egypt, this same gold jewelry that they had given to build the calf, they, they realize that there's something inappropriate about them being arrayed with wealth and in celebratory uh, garments, just like many of us know that when you go to a funeral, you, you dress appropriately. Many people even wear dark clothing when they go to a funeral. God tells them that they're going to be consumed, and they, they take off their ornaments. And God says, take off your ornaments so that I can, look in verse uh, the end of verse 5, so now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. As a parent, we've said this to our kids before, or if you're a kid, you've heard your parents say this, what am I going to do with you? I don't know what I'm going to do with you. We always tell our kids we're going to give them to the Indians, the bad Indians. That's what my parents told me when they didn't know what to do. I'm going to give you to the Indians, boy. I'm going to give you to the, the bad Indians. We're going to give you, and I don't have a clue. There's probably some horrible, I don't mean for there to be like some horrible racial thing there. That was just like the threat. You, 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 boy, you, you, you really, you know, mess things up now. We're giving you to the, to the bad Indians. God's sitting back, and I don't think God's saying, I'm going to give the Israelites to the bad Indians, but he is thinking, what am I, what am I to do with you? I've entered into covenant with you. You've broken it, broken it, broken it, broken it, broken it. Now you've created this idol like you've broken two of the main commandments I've given you. You've worshipped a false god. You've created an image of this false god. And the people of Israel are keenly aware that they're in trouble. And here's where, number three, Moses intercedes. Verses 7 through 16 tell us the story of Moses' intercession. And verse 7 starts this, this section, this really interesting section of this tent of meeting. And this is not the tabernacle. Moses has just been given a bunch of instructions on how to build the tabernacle. That's not what this building is. This is some sort of tent that God uh, that Moses would use to, to meet with God. And this tent was not the tabernacle. It wasn't built yet. It was far off from the camp. And even the fact that Moses would uh, erect this tent far off from the camp is again reiterating the fact that God can't come and meet in, in the middle of his people. Remember the tabernacle was built in the middle of God's people. And this tent is far off from God's people. When God's presence shows up to meet with Moses, it's got to be at a distance from God's people. Again, lest God's righteous wrath would consume them. And in this place, God spoke intimately with Moses. And again, brothers and sisters, let me remind you, both here in verse 11 and later in the passage where it says that man 
cannot see God's face. God, God is not a human. Jesus Christ is the third person of the Trinity who takes on human flesh. But God the Father, it, he doesn't have a body. He doesn't have a face. And so when it refers to seeing God's face or not seeing God's face, what God is doing, he's communicating with language that we understand. And what he's saying here is, listen, Moses would come and meet with me like two friends would meet with each other and sit across from each other over coffee and have intimate communication with one another. Moses and I would communicate in that way. And then later when it says man cannot see my face, what God is saying is man cannot look directly at the glory of God and survive. God's not speaking out of both sides of his mouth. God's helping us understand the intimacy that he has with Moses and also the reality that no one, including Moses, can look directly at the glory of God. But here we, we read how, how the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Brothers and sisters, we have opportunity to know God in an intimate way far better than we often even attempt to know God. We're going to talk about that more here in just a minute. God speaks to Moses intimately. And the people knew this, and they would watch as Moses would go out to this tent, and they would worship God as God would meet with Moses there, and Moses would come back with a word from God for God's people. And here we see Joshua is Moses' assistant at this time. Joshua is going to play a big part in the history of the nation of Israel here. And notice as Moses is interceding for God's people, Moses goes to this tent, and he's making intercession for God's people. Notice what Moses is asking for. And here we're going to look at verses like um, 12 and 13. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please. And notice some of the things that Moses prays, and think about a lot of the ways that you and I pray. Please, show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And then he says, consider too that this nation is your people. Moses is kind of like, calling God into account. It's like he's putting God on the, on the hook for a minute and saying, hey, these, you've covenanted with these people. It's almost as if Moses is reminding God of what God has established with the nation of Israel. How's this going to look, God? All the other nations know that you've entered into covenant with this group. Yeah, they're stiff-necked. You've entered into covenant with these people. And how's that going to look? To the other nations. Moses is interceding. We continue to read through. Look at verse 15. He said to them, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Go with us. Show us your glory. Help me to know you. Show me your ways. These are the requests that Moses is praying to God. He's not simply saying, please please don't bring the plague against us or please establish a new line through me and my family. Moses is saying, Lord, show me who you are. Go with us. Show us who you are. And number four, and by the way, I'm cruising through my points really quickly. We'll spend another 
length of time in, the, in some final applications. Number four, we see God, how God shows mercy. Look, verse 17 through 23. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So, brothers and sisters, look here at the intercession of Moses and the reply of God. Moses, Moses prays and asks God to sh- show him favor and to uh, uh, show him his ways. Look in verse 14. And God said to Moses, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. How shall I know, how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight? I, verse 16, notice, I and your people. Moses is not just praying the same thing over again. Moses is saying, it's not enough for you to go with just me. It's not enough, God, if you promise that you will just be with me and just bless me and just has favor with me. I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses is interceding for a nation of stiff-necked people who have just earned their separation from God. And now Moses is standing before God, and he is seeking not just reconciliation for himself, but he's seeking reconciliation for this entire nation. And God does answer his request, and God shows mercy on whom he will show mercy, the nation of Israel, and he will be gracious to whom he will be gracious, the people of Israel. And Moses says, in that case, and when Moses says, show me your glory, Moses isn't asking for some kind of like, hey, God, you know, while we're having this really cool conversation, you know, I know no one's ever seen your glory before. Hey, can I, like, before this conversation's over, can I just have like a sneak peek at your awesomeness? Moses is actually asking for God to give him a a manifest sign that he's going to be true to his word. God, show me, okay, you've said I found favor and you said that you're going to go with this. Show me your glory. Reiterate to me that you are our God. He is asking for a sign, but it's not like some secret magic trick that no one else gets to see. He's saying, reiterate to me the terms of this covenant. Show me your glory. Please show me your glory. Now, I think there are three big points of application. And we're going to take probably another 10 or 15 minutes here just on these. uh, I don't want to use the word conclusion yet. Because if I use the word conclusion, you, you think I'm almost done. So three points of application as we think through. So what about this story? So what about this story? First of all, because Christ found favor with God, God's presence goes with us. Moses found favor with God, and God's presence went with the nation of Israel. And because Christ found favor with God, 
His presence goes with us. Again, Moses is pointing us ahead to Jesus Christ, the perfect mediator. Moses was an imperfect mediator, but he was a mediator. And I would have been satisfied, like I told you earlier, I would have been totally satisfied with God saying, I'll wipe out those people and start over with you. But Moses, who is prefiguring Jesus Christ, Moses cares for those people. He cares for the stiff-necked people. And he knows that God's glory is on display by rescuing stiff-necked donkey people. Our salvation, one, one pastor says, our salvation depends on the pleasure God takes in our mediator. That is to say, our salvation rests on the delight that God takes in the person of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, here's what I think is interesting. As we read through the story of the people of Israel here, they hear the disastrous word. They know that they're in big trouble. They take off their ornamentation. They realize that they're in trouble. The Bible doesn't actually ever use the language of uh, that they repented. It seems to indicate that they did. But what is obvious is that the reason God relented is because Moses went before God and said, please don't destroy the people. Remember, this is following on the heels of Moses having just said, please spare them. You can blot my name out of your book if you'll please spare these people. What we're seeing here is Moses is giving us a little hint. He's giving us a little foreshadowing. He's pointing us ahead to a perfect mediator who would come and would lay down his life. He would give his life a Memorial Day kind of thing. He would lay down his life for stiff-necked people who didn't deserve it. That's me and you, by the way. The only thing you and I earned was the heat of hell. Jesus Christ, through his life and death, earned salvation. And he is the mediator who goes before God and, and uh, justifies those of us who turn and put our faith and trust in him alone for our salvation. So just like Moses found favor with God and the people of Israel were despaired, Jesus Christ found favor with God and those who turn to Christ in repentance and faith are made children of God and have the presence of God goes with us. Number two point of application. It's God's presence that makes us the people of God. It's God's presence that makes us the people of God. This is, this is a really big point here. I think it might be the biggest point of the passage. Notice again, let me draw your attention one more time to what I think might be the most important, uh, I hate to say it that way, because who am I to determine what passages of, of Scripture are more important than others? Here's the line that stands out to me, verse 15. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. I'm sorry, verse 16. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? What makes Christians different than everyone else on the face of the earth? Moses actually knows that it's not about the rules, the instructions that he's just received and broken. It's not just the law and the regulations. It's not just the land. It's not just having a certain kind of land. That's, that's not what make the people of God the people of God. Moses sees clearly, if you don't go with us, what's the point of us? It's not just what's the point of us going into the land. 
we don't have a point. We don't have a purpose. We don't have a reason for existence if you don't go with us. The Old Testament people of God, Israel, there was no point in them existing apart from the presence of God being with them. The New Testament people of God, the church, this motley crew of souls and saints in here this morning, there is no point of us if the presence of God isn't in us individually and amongst us collectively. There, there's no, we're all wasting perfectly good hour and a half, two hours of a Sunday morning. I think it's even pretty pleasant outside. Like we're wasting good panhandle weather. If God isn't amongst us, and I actually think this is a huge problem for modern American Christians. We have confused moralism, financial wealth, success, political opinions. We've confused those things with the presence of God. And we think that we're Christians because of our moral our, our moral checklists that we've checked, or our political opinions that differ from others, or our success. God has blessed us. I mean, we're Christians, and our farms do well, and our, our families do well, and we've confused a lot of other things that we think are the distinctives of our Christianity. We've confused those with really knowing the presence of God. Do we know the powerful presence of God amongst us? Is the Holy Spirit of God amongst us? Are we people who shine with the glory of God like Moses shone with the glory of God? Or are we just kind of culturally good people who are basically indistinguishable from everyone else around us except for the fact that we spend an hour and a half here on Sunday mornings. I'm afraid that we are too often confused with moralism, success, some of these other markers, and we confuse those with what is actually the actual powerful presence of God. When's the last time that you have prayed, Lord, show me your glory? Would we even know it if we saw it? Lord, show me your ways. Spirit of God, dwell in me in a way that empowers me and enlivens me. Lord, help us to know your glory. Live in us in a way that sets us apart, that makes us distinct. Moses is praying for distinction for the people of God. He's asking God, God, please dwell with us in such a way that we, the nation of Israel, do look different, behave differently than everyone else around us. But it's not that we dress differently. It's not that our television shows are different than the bad people's television shows. That may be the case. But those aren't the things that Moses is praying for. You, God, come and dwell amongst us and let that be the thing that makes us distinct. I mean, throughout the Bible, 
passages of Scripture and people are praying that when others look at us, that they would see our good works and give glory to God who is in heaven, that they would see that your profiting would appear to all, that we would be God's chosen people, that we would be God's, um, what's, the, what's the word, peculiar, that's it, peculiar people. There's something, there's something different about those people. And it's not just, it's not because they dress different or talk different. There's just something, it's the presence of God in and amongst them. God, please show us your glory. God, go with us. Can you imagine you individually or us as a church praying something similar to Moses? I don't want to go through life unless you are with me. And often it, God uses desperate circumstances to teach us that. And many of you, you do operate according to that principle. God, I don't want to do another day. I don't want to do life unless you are with me, unless your presence is with me. Moses realizes it's not about land. It's not about, it's not about law. It's your presence among us that makes us unique. It's not our politics that make us unique, our morals that make us unique, our productivity or industriousness that makes us unique. The only thing that Israel, uh, Philip Graham Ryken says, the only thing that Israelites had going for them was their relationship to God. And other people would only know that he was their God if he stayed in their midst. At this point in Israel's history, they're just a bunch of Middle Easterners wandering around in a desert. I mean, they don't have a land. They don't have a cause. They're not doing any. They're, they're waiting on God. And if God says, you go on without me, Moses realizes, what's our point? We want, we want so many things. We want other things to make us distinct or even worse. We just think, I don't, I don't want to be distinct. I want to look like everyone else and act like everyone else, but I want the heaven thing parachute at the end. True followers of Christ will look, sound, smell, taste, feel like people who have the presence of God in them and among them. And when Jesus leaves, he says, I'm leaving so I can send something better to you, the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't dwell in a tabernacle, a, a physical tent with gold furniture and blood splattered on it now. The Holy Spirit of God indwells his people individually and he indwells his people collectively. God was with Israel and God can be and should be with us. And the third point of application is this. God, well, I'll just read it the way I've got it written. It is us, plural, not me, singular. Moses isn't simply saying, God, show me your glory and go with me. He does pray that, but he makes it clear. But go with us. Show us your glory. Go with us as your people. What will the other nations see? We live in such an individualized culture, right? I mean, it is all about you chasing your dreams and getting what you want. That is not the culture of Christianity. That's not the culture of the Bible. God saves people to a group of people. Some of us don't like that so much because we look around a room like this and we think, yeah, but I don't really want to be, I didn't choose to be associated with those people. Yeah, you did. Yeah. God chose for you to be with those people. And now it's your 
opportunity and joy to be together with these people. We often live in our own little isolated bubble. The people of God were a collective group of people through whom God showed His glory to the nations. The church is we, not me. The church is we, not me. So let me ask you this. Is it possible that your Christianity is not a full and accurate expression of Christianity? You may be a saved and born-again child of God. But if you're living in a silo, if you're living by yourself, if you're living without the fellowship of, of other brothers and sisters in your life, you are not experiencing the full expression of Christianity as portrayed in the pages of Scripture. You're just not. So is it possible that your weekly church attendance with, with no additional fellowship with God's people is actually your version of what we've seen today? You're around the things of God. You hear the songs. You hear the preaching. You've added a few things uh, to your to-do list of do's and don'ts, but then you live a life that's totally disconnected from the people of God and therefore the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Matt reiterated it again this morning. The reason you are saved to a church is so that other people who are part of that church who have gifts can help and strengthen and bless you, and you likewise help and strengthen and bless other people. You're, you're, you're saved into relationship with other people. The Bible uses the best illustration that any of us could think of, the illustration of a body. Right? It would be weird if, if you know, our guests came into our church service this morning, over, on, over here was a, you know, an arm sitting over there, and on this chair was a leg, and right, you, th this would be weird. Like, what? hold on a second. Body parts need the body in order to work well together and in order to be strengthened. Right? My, my mouth benefits tremendously from two hands that feed it on a regular basis. Spiritually speaking, brothers and sisters, you've been saved to the people of God. And God puts his glory on display by the way that we live together and interact with each other. It is not okay to be a Lone Ranger Christian. There's, there's no such thing as that. You need other people, other Christians in your life sitting down across the table from you. Helping you, praying for you interacting with you, and we've spent a lot of time in recent weeks talking about that. So Moses is not just praying for his own individual relationship. It, he is praying for the people of God. So those, those, point, those three points of application, because Christ has found favor with God, now his presence and the person of the Holy Spirit goes with us. It's God's presence that makes us the people of God, not the things that we do or don't do. But the Holy Spirit of God is what makes us the people of God. Do you pray for knowledge of the person of God, the presence of God in your life? And then finally, it's us, not me. It's, it's we, not me, that God has promised to give his presence to and is to, to display his glory through. So back to that main point again. God's presence is the most important thing for the people of God to be the people of God. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I ask the music team to come, and we're going to close this with a song here in just a moment. Maybe you're here this morning, and you have never 
Turn from your sin and put faith in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior. You're not actually part of the people of God. All you have to do is pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins and to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can do that alone there in your seat. You can talk with one of us, and we'd be happy to help explain that to you more if you have any questions about that. I think for all of us, though, in a passage like this, we see a way that our prayer life needs to be adjusted. We spend a lot of time actually praying for things that will make us like everyone else. Moses sets an example of how we're to be people who pray for the presence of God, the indwelling and empowering of the Spirit of God in our lives individually, and the presence of God in our churches collectively. So I hope that this morning we'll all be even better prayers as we pray like Moses prayed for, an awareness of and an empowering of the presence of God in our lives. Father, I pray now that as we conclude our service and even as we sing, Lord, that we would be aware of how desperately we need the presence of God in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We'll sing one concluding song together, and then, uh, and then Pastor Will will come and dismiss us with